Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Bud, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Whanganuiatara where I'm recording today. Jen, it's our last week of the Raven Boys! I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, I know I say this every time, but I'm not ready! <laughs> I'm never ready for us to finish a book. Mm. It's always so hard, and it's always, like, we've spent so much time with it that, like, this last hour, I just don't want to let go of it yet. It always seems to come so quickly as well. It's like, I don't know. I'm never prepared for it to be over because I feel like I've just gotten really into the flow of it. So, yeah. yeah. But the good news is we are going to do the rest of the series. Yes. So it does feel like we're not letting go of this, at least, completely. Um, how's your leg? Yeah, my leg's good. Still a bit sore, but it's getting better. Yay! It looks amazing, by the way. Very jealous. I do think it's too metal for me. So I got a tattoo, I should say, on Thursday. <laughs> and um, yeah, when not he put too the stencil metal. on, I was just like, this is too metal. I'm not this cool. And it's like, it's too late. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> did, he tell, did he tell you too late? <laughs> No, like he was already putting it on and he was just like, now nah, we're doing it. And then when we were halfway through, I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, now it's too late. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want me to do, but I was just teasing him. I'm just wiping ink off my leg. So, you know, it's all glamour over here. Yeah, tattoo care is like a whole thing that I know nothing about. I find it so fascinating. It's just really gross at this first stage. Like it just leaks down your leg or like just leaks in general. And it's really not pleasant. I was oh. regaling all my co-workers yesterday. I'm like, look at this. It's staining my dress. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll survive. How are you? I'm good. It has been a busy week, but also a good week. Yeah. Did you have a moment of wonder? <gasps> oh, yes, I did. Um, So yesterday I took my 10-year-old to get fitted for roller skates because she has thoroughly destroyed her last pair. And I mean, like, I should really put a picture in the show notes because she has, like, worn down the brake in the front and, like, the toes are splitting apart because she's, like, worn them so hard. And also she's wow. growing. So we always knew that they were going to need replacing. Um, So I took her to yeah. the skate place to get fitted and they're like they're really nice there but you have to go all the way out to Brookvale which is like miles and miles away but as we were sitting there she was like mom you should get skates too because I had said like oh those are so cute even I would wear them the ones that she picked out and I was like oh well if, you know if they had my size and the guy just looked at me and I was like do you have my size and he's like I can check so he checked and sure enough they had my size and so I basically just left it up to my daughter I was like do you think I should get skates and she's like yes get matching skates mommy this will be so much fun and I'm like well but I don't have a helmet she's like I'm sure we can get you a helmet she was like do you have helmets in, in her size in a grown-up size and the guy was like we do do and she's like okay can you get a blue one to match her hair it's really important she likes blue <laughs> and so I just let her take over the whole process and so she picked out skates for me and they're holographic and they match and she picked out a blue helmet to match my hair and then um, I said I wanted slightly different protective gear because I was like I have to have my wrist and elbow and knee pads too like safety first you know like whatever I'm old and scungy I don't care if I scrape my whole body off but you know like for 
for kids you have to set an example um so she she said I could get the rose gold ones which were pink but not the same pink as hers so um (laughs) she picked out my entire new skating outfit and we are going to match and it's going to be amazing and also (sighs) that was a very expensive day but it was so fun and she felt so good that I was just like you know what I'm gonna let her go with it so yeah my moment of wonder is that my daughter picked out my entire roller skating outfit so yeah Oh, that's so cute. I can't wait for your little matchy-matchy roller skate adventures. I know. It's going to be so good. And I haven't gone, like, I can ice skate fairly well. And I learned inline skating when I was, like, 10. So it's not hard. But it's just going to be different to be on quads because I don't think I've ever been on quads before. Mm, You'll get used to it, I'm sure. Yeah. So how about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? Yeah, so um, on Sunday after we recorded it, it was my birthday. And I had a just wonderfully magical birthday day really that was just so lovely and I just honestly I felt so loved and so overwhelmed by that love that I was just like in a state of euphoria basically by the end of the day and I just yeah it was a real moment for me where I just felt really really overwhelmed and just I don't think I've ever felt like that so yeah that was my moment of wonder this week happy birthday thank you birthday week drag it out oh yeah birthday month take the whole month like I take July every year I'm like it's my birthday this month sometimes I'll even be like it's almost my birthday month like at the end of June you know start getting in early yeah I usually do that with November because of course by the time we hit December it's Christmas so that's the excuse for everything then I know I donate to the Indigenous Literacy Foundation because it's important. And I got one of those calls saying, like, very politely, will you up your donation this year? We're doing mm. a new program. And I, of course, will generally say yes if it's, like, $5 a month more or something. Like, that's fine. Yeah. But the guy definitely suckered me into $10 by saying, yeah, yeah, are you prepared for Christmas? It's my birthday on Christmas Day. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that sucks. It's really hard to have a birthday on a big holiday. It's just not fun. Yeah, I don't know. My ex had a birthday on New Year's Eve and he was always really grumpy about it. And I'm like, I don't understand why. If it was me, it would honestly just be an excuse to have a massive New Year's Eve party every year. Mm. Like, I would just make the most of it. And he was like, well, you know, then it's not about me. I'm like, "Uh, you make it about you? I mean, come on. That's a good one because it's not a present holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Christmas is terrible because you always get, like, a present that's both. Like, you never get one for your birthday and for Christmas. Like, even for me, at the end of November, I used to get combined Christmas birthday presents and I feel like excuse me no they have to give you two presents people can't just give you one and um that's why I make a point with Frank I'll always try and give him a birthday and a Christmas present because his birthday is 21st of December which is very close so oh that is close oh Frank we love you you do well this week we are reading chapters 45 through 48 through the theme of friendship and we're going to be wrapping up the raven boys um jen i was wondering if you have a theme story about friendship for us yeah i do so it's less of a story than an observation but hopefully Mm. you'll bear with me now i don't really make friends very easily um i think for one thing I'm a massive introvert, so I don't really like talking to people. And for another, I basically just assume the worst about every person I meet. I usually give people a grace period, though, of about six months where I'm willing to change my mind about my initial dislike because I know it's not fair to just hate everyone. And, like, that's just a knee-jerk reaction. So I leave a door open. Um, But in general, I'm still skeptical because I just don't trust people. And I don't like to be hurt. 
And I think because I'm generally quite open and vulnerable with the people I do allow into my life, mm. it does give people a lot of opportunities to actually hurt me. And I have been hurt by people who I thought were friends in the past who maybe weren't as deep into the relationship as I am, right? So that's why I've kind of built up this barrier about I need people to be on the same page as me. And if that means that I take a bit of time to allow people into my life or to suss out the situation to get the lay of the land about where we are, you know, that's fine. But for the longest time, I used to feel really inadequate about the size of my friendship group. You know, I would look at people on Facebook or MySpace at the time and, you know, they'd have these massive friendship groups. And, you know, I was never going to have big blowout parties where all these people turned up because I would just sit there being like, I don't have enough people to invite. I don't understand, you know. And I even now, mm. like, I go to weddings and people invite, like, 300 people. I'm like, how do you know this many people? Um, and this would always blow out into a big thing where I would get in my head about, like, no one cares about me and you're just going to be abandoned and you're gonna die alone and all these things because I'm very mm -hmm. dramatic. But one of the joys of getting older is, I think, has been realizing that those so-called social media friends or friends who turn up to a block party, they're not real. They're not the kind of friends that I necessarily want. I may not have the biggest friendship group, but every single friend I have is absolutely golden. I'm very confident that I could call up any one of them and ask for help and they would drop absolutely everything for me. And I really felt this this past weekend, right? Like it was my birthday and I was getting all these lovely messages and so many cards and gifts. And there was this moment where I just genuinely couldn't believe that all these people cared about me and they loved me. And maybe, you know, I ask a lot of people, maybe I make it too hard to be my friend, but I cherish the friends I have so much and I would not trade any of them for the world. And I'm realistic. I know that that friendships change with time and intensity and you know it's natural that people will drift apart but in the moment while I have these wonderful people in my life I'm just going to make the absolute most of it even if it hurts later it'll always be worth the absolute joy of the time that we've had together and I'm glad that I take the time to really build that foundation because I think it's just so much richer as a result oh I love that and I love you look I think having friendships it's all everybody's so different we can't all be block party having I don't know I think <laughs> social media is a very distorting view yeah i agree and i also agree that sometimes it's really easy to get in your head about it and it is often like really tempting to fall into that oh i'm a burden because i have this issue or that issue but i mean we're all meant to be caring for others and cared for by others like we we're in community with each other so like we all yeah. are like yeah sometimes you do have a friendship that's harder to do or like you give more than you can sometimes but you also have to ask for more than you really feel like you ought to it's meant to be mm. in balance yeah and i think that's an important thing too if you sometimes sit there and think oh no one's reaching out to me and I'm so unloved sometimes you just need to send the first message because everyone's going through yeah. their own thing that you don't know about and it doesn't mean that people don't love you they might just you know have their own thing going on if you just message them being like hey I really miss you what's happening yeah. that nine times out of ten will solve all the problems let's start a podcast together yeah look how that's worked out <laughs> So great. Um, I had to tell my sister this because she was like, if people don't reach out to me, I'm like, you're dead to me. And I was like, ah, I have ADHD. I never remember anything. Please don't cut me <laughs> off because I'm dumb. <laughs> if you want me to talk to you, just tell me to talk to you. I will put it in my calendar, but I don't know unless you tell me that you're upset it was really stressful i think we i think we understand each other well but i i have been quietly like oh no do i need to message her has she decided i'm not worth hanging out with oh <laughs> but still yeah that's hard yeah people people do get busy people do forget but i think like for me i don't really love my friends any less if i haven't talked to them in like years i just put everything on pause i'm like oh yeah oh yeah we'll get back to that 
And that's kind of like my favorite kind of friendships is the one where you just like randomly start talking again after two years and they're still just as amazing as they were. Like mm-hmm. uh, this idea that you constantly have to be in someone's pocket for it to be meaningful is also overrated. Shout out to my friend Lewix, who's been like that on and off intense crop rotation friendship. There's some psychology about how many friendships a human can actually meaningfully sustain. And I think it's not actually that many. We're meant to be in community, but we don't have to be in community with, like, everybody. Yeah, and I think you can be in community without being friends. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. we need to acknowledge acquaintances as a thing. I feel like they get it unfairly yes. erased. Like, acquaintances are great. People that you'll say hi to, but that you don't ever want to engage with any more than that. <laughs> neighbor. Neighbor level, right? You'll have a couple yeah. of coffee with them once in a while. You'll lend them your hammer. Yeah, you'll be perfectly fine and civil and lovely and say hi and smile, but you're not going to, you know, go on holiday together. Well, thank you for sharing, Jen. Uh, Should I do chapter summaries? Yes, please. Okay, so in this section, Adam makes a sacrifice to wake the ley line. Neve inexplicably disappears. A herd of Irish elk turn up out of time and trample whelk. The trees speak Latin and English. And finally, Mm. they rebury Noah's bones at the old church so he can be with them for a time. And that's it. I know, it was very quick, but very dramatic. And can we just talk about the weird animals that Rhoda dreams up for this forest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure they're Irish elk, right? Like, I have I think we get the bones and skeletons late. I think in the third book, which is my favorite in the series, when they go down the caves, they find all of these skeletons. Um, And Irish elk aren't in North America. That's definitely a dream forest thing. But I love them. I love the idea of these, like, this herd of reindeer-esque things just running through the forest. He has the most magical imagination. I just love that boy. Yeah, he did so well this time too. Finally opened up and was vulnerable. Finally. Trusting his friends. Um, So our theme friendship, I thought was quite good because we got to explore all of the different ways that friendship works. So there was like the really tentative friendship between, I guess, Neve and the other psychic women. And mm. then there was like the kind of friendship that the gangsy has, which is a totally different thing. And then there's a few callbacks even to like Welk and Noah's friendship as it wasn't. Mm. And yeah. like you see how it's so much of a foundation for all of them. Like it's the first thing they do is they're trying to figure out how it relates to them and their friendships and their connection to each other. Friendship's good though because yeah, like you said, it is connection too so it ties in nicely with our overarching theme because you need to connect with people in order to be friends right oh yeah i thought it was interesting that adam is so angry at welk for betraying noah not just because he's murdered someone because he murdered his friend right and almost the idea that welk would just like move on and try the ritual again like is even a worse betrayal somehow and i think it's because adam worries about his vision and like his own betrayal of his friends that he just cannot see himself doing and yet he saw it in that vision so horrible but Welk's absolute exasperation at these kids turning up cracks me up every time (laughs) he just is so done he's like capital d done trademark he is just what are you doing here i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids (laughs) i just ran across a a post somebody had was talking about how the last known message from a ship that went down was the the guy saying rut row (laughs) (laughs) That's what it felt like with Welk. But can we talk about how serenely calm Neve is? Like, you know, Welk's carrying on. He's on his last nerve. You know, the kids turn up and they're acting all crazy. And she's just so calm. Is that because she knows what's going to happen to her? Like, she's, you know, she's psychic, so she knows. Yeah, I don't know. I I wonder if it was at this point, she thought she could do it. And then once Adam turned up, the future changes because every decision that everyone makes. Like, if she kept going in one path before Adam decided she could see what was happening. But once he decided the future had changed. Do you know what I mean? 
Mm, yeah. I feel like being psychic means you can see the possibilities, but it really is dependent on what the people actually do with it. And once Adam turned up and decided, she was like, well, that version of the future is going to happen. Yeah, once the decision firms up. Yeah, because she gave him what he needed in order to do it right. Like, she told him exactly what he needed to do without telling him. What if she needed to do what she did in order for her to set up the whole situation for Adam to do what he does? Like, if she didn't react the way she did, like, she's the catalyst, right? Maybe that was always part of the... It's like in The Matrix, yeah. you know, when he go, Neo goes to meet the Oracle and she says, you know, well, we'll really bake your noodle later is when you wonder if you would have broken the vase if I hadn't said anything. Yeah, how much of it is dependent on them and how much of it is, I don't know, predestination. I do wonder if Neve isn't so calm because she's basically like a third possessed. She's not entirely in her body. She's got her set up in the attic still. And we see Adam actually like perceiving the women of 300 Foxway mm. through her eyes. And then he perceives the mask and two mirrors and Persephone. And then he perceives a whole other world and two obsidian eyes like all mm -hmm. through Neve like he's seeing all of that as he's looking at her so I'm wondering yeah. if she's maybe a little bit calm because whatever it is under the corpse road is like we just have to get this thing awake in order to get me out right I thought that was actually a good example of her failing to have a good friendship and good connection with the women of Th 300 mm. Foxway because if she had a better friendship with Morakala and Persephone she wouldn't be in this situation she would have like backup there would have been an out for her but because she went off and she tried to do this on her own that lack yeah. of connection really bites her. Yeah, she's very alone. I mean, no one goes to look for her. No one tries to find her. She's just like, she's gone and they're like, shrug. Mm. Which is not how I would want to go. <laughs> like, if, no, if I disappear, I want people to look for me and try and find me. And I'd like to be missed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want to be so creepy and mild that people are relieved that you're gone. Yeah. It might also be that her ambition blinded her to what needed to be done, right? Because the, the caution for Adam from Persephone and Mora, right, was Adam needed to not be logical about it. He needed to not put mm. his emotions aside. So I'm wondering if maybe there was something about Neve's ambition, like similarly, that she needed to put her ambition aside in order to actually do the right thing, but just couldn't get there, maybe. Which brings up another thing for me, it's about the sacrifice, right? So Welk's sacrifice of Noah wasn't big enough to wake the ley line. You mm -hmm. could argue that's also because he didn't understand the sacrifice, like Neve is laying out the groundwork for him in the previous section. But I think if the sacrifice was big enough, it would have worked regardless of whether he'd done all the right things or ticked all the right boxes. Like Neve d does yeah. the pentagram and does all these things because she thinks she needs to. But I also wonder if Neve's sacrifice would have been big enough because part of me thinks that it wouldn't. It's too calculated. Whereas with Adam, this is a huge sacrifice for him. Like, this is, yeah. like, the biggest thing. And I think this over-the-top reaction we see from Caves of Water where it's, like, this massive earthquake and everything is, like, really crazy is because of the size of his sacrifice. I don't think Neve would have had the same reaction. I mean, it's awful to kill someone but like it's not the most important thing to her I think it's not the most treasured thing and we know that the point of Adam is that he wants to be his own person so saying I will belong to the ley line and I will be your your hands and I will be your eyes that's a completely different thing he's giving up the autonomy that he's worked for not for any gain but because it needs to be done and it's also a sacrifice for the ley line like he's saying mm. I will be your eyes I will be your hands like basically I will do your bidding whereas for Welk and Neve they're trying to take the ley line for themselves like they're trying yeah. to harness it rather than serve it yes yeah there's no um gods and worships and tributes you know like there's mm. no offering for it that would work enough I mean a sacrifice is to give something to make something sacred it's 
the offer of something to a deity in sacrament. It's it's about sacredness. And Adam's autonomy is the most sacred thing he has. Like that is the thing that he wants and treasures the most. And that's also how like deities draw power. Like if you believe in the kind of the mythos of what's laid out in American gods, right? Like the reason mm. these gods persist is because they can draw power from the sacrifices and that's what allows them to do things. So the ley line can only exist because of the sacrifice made to it. And yeah. Adam's sacrifice is huge. I am. Um, I have a question. Mm. I want to know what you think about this. So Adam is extremely intuitive. He's really intuitive. Um, and we see this in a few different ways. We see that he's able to see Neve for what she is. He's kind of got that feeling that they're being watched even before. Mm -hmm. It's not Welk that's on his trail. It's Neve that's on his trail, right? And I'm just wondering, like, is it because he's from Henrietta, right? The narrative often describes him as being, like, dirt-colored from the soil, the same color as the dust, colorless this. Like, he's, he's all of the dusty, earthy parts. But that's what he has to do to get the ley line to wake up, is he has to put his hands into the dirt and say, I sacrificed myself. Do you think he's just kind of been, like, baked in all that magic and, like, he can access it more truly than someone who's an outsider because he's of the land it's kind of like yeah. sean and puck and the scorpio races like yeah. they are of the sea and of the land yeah i like that i like that a lot and it also like you know it reminds me of blue too in the way that she is this amplifier and she's like also baked in the magic of henrietta and her family won't like her mother won't leave and everyone loves being there yeah yeah, the idea that Adam has absorbed the magic of this place and this place that he actually actively tries to distance himself from and tries to deny because mm. he's trying to move on from it. Yeah, that's really powerful. I think sometimes the place we're from has more of an impact on us than we'd like it to. Adam is going to try and escape it his whole life and never really be able to. And this is maybe the beginning of the sacrifice he has to make where he understands that he's always going to be from Henrietta, whether he likes it or not. I like that as a way of orientating yourself. It's definitely a big thing and Māori custom that your papa is how you orientate yourself in the world and often for people who are distanced from their Māori heritage it's a really big thing to go back and rediscover where your whānau is from and you know mm. what your mountain is what your river is where your iwi is and all these things and this is what you papa back to it's like where you draw your lineage from and yeah I, I love, love that, that. I think about it often for myself in terms of where my parents were born because they brought a lot of linguistic ticks with them when they moved to Oregon. My mom was 12 when she moved in. My dad was born in Arkansas, but his, fam like his family always moved back and forth. And then he ended up growing up in Oregon. But they both speak like people from the Dust Bowl. Mm. And so there are a lot of little linguistic things that just show up that are kind of unique to my family. But it's just one of those things that you wouldn't know unless you know why, mm. you know? Like you wouldn't pick that up. But little little phrases, sayings, and certain ways of cooking things that no one else does where mm -hmm. I'm from except family, which is pretty nice, pretty cool. I was looking at my Ancestry.com results this morning because mm. they sometimes update them and I find it fascinating and I just think about really like fascinating. your heritage right and I look at the mix of my heritage I'm like how did this even happen I don't understand how all these bits come together mm. so fascinating yeah it really is you know I've never done one of those tests but I do think that it would be interesting to see exactly what the the bits of me are mm. man family is wild and heritage is wild and I think Adam is the most of Henrietta of all of them the most of the place yeah 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 i'll talk about this a little bit when we do the book wrap up but steve otter is an incredible writer but place is such a huge part of it in a way that like i feel like i know henrietta so well just from the few descriptions that we have from this book mm. but i think like i could probably draw a little map of it and i could tell you how to get to the church if i thought about it so i just love how much place is a part of it 
it's almost a character on its own. Well, I think place is incredibly important to the story as well. If not even Henrietta, but Capeswater. Like, Capeswater is a place, right? But it's also a yeah. character. It's also, like, a very important character in the story. It has a voice, but it's a place, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Just touching back on Wilt, because we talked about the sacrifice. I was wondering if maybe the reason that his sacrifice didn't work is because it like he's never really sacrificed anything of his own because he's never had anything of his own he doesn't understand the value of anything right right like he misses his dad's money he misses his chef's guacamole he misses the respect that was conferred to him by having access to these things and he wants that back but he didn't lose anything of his own he didn't even really lose his own friend like he he killed someone else's child in order to make this the ritual happen mm. the first time like there was no real loss for him there was no real sacrifice for him so I did wonder what you thought of that yeah I think that is definitely something and I think it's touched upon by Adam himself when he makes that comment about you know he understands sacrifice in a way that he doesn't think Welk or Neve ever did you know yeah when you don't understand the value of what you're giving up how do you really you're not really giving up anything like if you don't yeah. miss it Welk has never really allowed himself to miss Noah it's only in the last section that he sort of has that moment where he's like okay he was actually a good friend but yeah I don't know there's not it didn't feel you know it's not the way that Adam is compelled by his friends right like the friendship Adam feels towards Gansey and Rodin is very different mm. and I think that's really what compels him to make the sacrifice to Capeswater he is compelled by the threat to his friends like Ronan is being punched and the gun is pointed at Gansey and then he throws himself into this pentagram and makes the sacrifice so that kind of like compulsion it's never about him but it's all about him in a yeah. way that Welk could never understand they're obsessed with each other I love it though like it's really lovely that their friendship is so deep that they spend a lot of time cultivating it like they tend that friendship like it's a bonsai tree you know mm. always assessing always looking at it always looking at all of the different parts of it comparing notes with one another thinking deeply about it like they they close read their friendship and they still misinterpret it <laughs> Oh my gosh, because they're children, but that's fine. Uh, I mean, like, they don't communicate, but they do all, they are all obsessed with each other, which I love. I love the fact that they're so connected to one another. Absolutely. And just like on that point, I think, you know, Gansey talks about feeling that loss looming because I just think for him, he's lost another version of a friend. So he lost the Niall Lynch version of Ronan, right? And now he's lost Mm -hmm. this version of Adam. And I think Mm -hmm. people we love are always changing, but Gansey has been so afraid of this change in Adam. Like he's been afraid since like page 133, where he made that comment about there was something fierce and chilling in his eyes and unnameable something that Gansey was always afraid would take over completely. And now it seems that Adam has been taken over by this nameless thing and Gansey can't comprehend Hindered and he just all he sees is the loss of his friend and he yeah. feels so betrayed by his friends at all times it's just horrible yeah. he really wears his heart outside of his body and it's not very healthy i often think he needs to like maybe just take a breather and be okay on his own he needs some therapy mm, they all do <laughs> oh my gosh so much except maybe um, blue she seems pretty well balanced she's amazing and she's like the voice of reason always she's very sensible she wishes she wasn't but i'm glad she is one of the ways we see blue being sensible is that she pulls them into the vision tree to keep them safe from the herd she's Mm -hmm. like oh no we're just we're gonna go we're gonna hide out in here where it's safe inside of the tree i really love that because she was just like yep i've got this one i've got this one back we go yeah and then blue and gansy have the same vision which you know connection right there Mm Hmm. hey ronan's in the tree he didn't go in it last time no he didn't i wonder what he saw 
Yeah. Well, we don't get any Ronan perspective this time around. We'll have to wait for the next book. I'm really looking forward to it because I'm like, he's the mystery. I can't wait. Um, speaking of my BFF Ronan Lynch, I think mm-hmm. there's, we, we see another great parallel drawn between Caves, Ro- Caves Water and Ronan, right? Because on page 402, Adam says, this place is all about being real, all about being fair, which is because Ronan made it. So of course that adheres to these rules that Ronan has where life is very black yeah. and white. Um, but I also just kind of love that, you know, Adam has given himself to caves water and he belongs to caves water now which means that he really belongs to ronan now and i just love that i love it love that i love it yeah that's great i'm not gonna hassle the author about my ship but i love that they do become canon but i'm just gonna say like because it needs to be said please don't hassle the author for not putting in as much shipping content as you or i would want like if you're a fan and you're out there in the world this is not the way also, fundamentally, we're not reading a romance novel, so why would the whole thing center around a romance? It doesn't make any sense, guys. This is what on. fan fiction is for, baby. Yeah. Go on AO3, set your filters, and have a great time. But it doesn't have to be <laughs> canon. It can still be how you think it is, and that's okay. We also have connection because Capes Water confirms the connection between Gansey and Glendower, right? He says, yes. I think this, they think it belong, he belongs to you, which is so great. I love that they're like, Psst, hey, we got something of yours, kid. It's really yeah. cute. BT dubs. Yeah, and everyone can hear it now. The trees are fully able to talk to the humans, which is awesome and, you know, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like Gansey said earlier in the book, if I were a tree, I would have no reason to love a human. Yeah. Blue does something really fantastic for Noah that I think is mm. absolutely beautiful. And it makes me laugh every time because she has to do this really uncomfortable thing. But because it's Noah, she does it. So she mm-hmm. goes up to Noah's mother at Noah's funeral where they're finally laying his bones to rest in a family plot. And she says, he says he's sorry for drinking your birthday schnapps. And then like the mom breaks down and starts crying and... She knows how it'll be received, but she does it anyway because no asks her to. And I just love it. She's so good to do that. Thank you, Blue. I know. I put that down as like such a massive act of friendship. She knows it's going to be bad. She knows it's not going to be well received, but she does it because it's Noah. And like, what is that if not friendship, you know? Yeah, it's because they're connected that she's able to do that. And because she loves him so much she's a she will she's willing to do it and i really love that yeah i think the whole thing with the funeral like they go to the funeral and then they dig noah up and they bury him again and like that is a massive act of friendship from all of them as well like all of them turn up to do it even though it really cracks me up again he just puts his bones in a duffel bag i don't know why that cracks me (laughs) up but the image of that did you also picture the like big country road bag because that's what i pictured Yes. And then Rona just like standing, like leaning against his BMW, not even helping. Like, I just love it so much. It is so funny. I just can't imagine. Like, I'm imagining Gansey in his topsiders and aquamarine polo shirt. And like, Adam's doing all of the major backbreaking work. I just like to point out, like, rude guys. Well, I think he digs it up, but he uses the machine, which is okay. I wouldn't know how to drive one of those things, but I assume Adam would have a passing acquaintance because he's very mechanically minded. True. And probably can is fork, forklift certified if he's working at the trailer factory. So That's true. It can probably operate a backhoe. I would be useless at operating a backhoe. I have driven <laughs> tractors, but barely. I just don't understand these kids. Like, no one thinks this is suspicious. No one notices them. They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Go with the backhoe and dig up a grave. Whatevs. Oh, gosh. Well, to be fair, Gansey and Blue did find the body. So I think that they have a reason to be at the fu- at the funeral, right? Like, they found yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Ronan is their ride. Um, and Adam turns up later with the equipment, which is typical. Hmm. 
But it is weird. I wouldn't have gone to the funeral and then dug, dug up, up the bones later. I would have waited and then done it later under the cover of darkness. But I think it's funny. I think it is an act of love. Like, it's definitely a loving act of friendship to do that. To disinter and reinter your friend where you can hang out with them more. I, this might be controversial, but I think Adam's desire for vengeance for Noah is also an act of friendship. Mm-hmm. Like, I know Gansey is horrified by the fact that Adam did nothing to save Welk, but the Slytherin in me is like, eh, <laughs> he had it coming. And look, I think that is the difference between the Gryffindor is no acceptable casualties, or the Hufflepuff also no acceptable casualties, and the Slytherin is some acceptable casualties. And that, for Adam, is an acceptable casualty. He's not willing to work any harder to save Welk because he doesn't feel like he deserves it. But Gansey's entire perspective and i am with gansey on this is that like where's the quote they didn't even have the authority to choose an alcoholic beverage they couldn't be deciding who deserved to live or die (laughs) when you put it that way yeah fair enough i mean they're kids and this is a huge thing and adam is saying look it's not just me but he's definitely feeling terrible about it he can like the the narrative says he look his face is as miserable as gansey feels on the inside yeah but he also makes the point that i just didn't let him in the circle right like i just didn't let in here like i didn't kill him i just didn't let him in which if i was in adam's position i think i would have done exactly the same thing i was just listening to harry potter's sacred text and vanessa was talking about one of the biggest mitzvahs you can do is to save a human life even if it's your own Mm. and i was kind of thinking like what is adam choosing here and i think he's choosing himself I think he's choosing himself and the ley line is choosing him too. And this is the way that it makes sense of that. But Adam doesn't want to be held responsible for it because it wasn't just him, right? Like he didn't summon the beasts out of nowhere. He just didn't let Welk in with him. But Welk has also attempted to shoot Gansey twice now. He's pointed a gun at Gansey twice. He actively shot at Adam. If the caves water hadn't protected him, Adam would probably be dead. And he was also going to kill Neve. So it's kind of like, and he's already killed Noah. He's not a great person. It's self-defense, really. It's all I'm saying. Oh, no, I completely see where you're coming from. I'm just in Camp Gansey where I'm like, jail is good. Jail is good. Let's put them in jail. (laughs) Jail's good, too. Straight to jail. That's what I, that's, I'm okay with that. But I mean, it's a book. It's not real. So I don't have to agree with it ethically. I can just enjoy it as a story. And I think that it's a good conflict to put in there what Adam is willing to let happen versus what Gansey is willing to let happen. I just think I agree when Adam says this is justice. I'm like, yeah, 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 it is. Mm. Welk's a terrible human being. I'm not going to mourn him. And it's what fine. could he have lived for? This is the other thing. What would Welk have lived? Like, what would work for Welk? I also just, just don't trust him. Like, if Adam let him into the circle, he'd probably try to shoot Adam again. Like, there's just no, this man is unhinged. Yeah, he's lost it. Um... I'm going to talk about Ronan's confession at the very end yes, of the section yes. because I think this is an ultimate act of friendship from him because he's finally going, I guess this is a good time to tell you I took Chainsaw out of my dreams. Like what an act of vulnerability from Ronan Lynch. I love it. It's like he's finally seen enough other magical stuff to be like, oh yeah, also this thing happened. Yeah, enough weird things have now happened that I feel like I can trust you all. It's one of my favorite parts of the book that he just ends it like that. I remember when I read this book, I had bought the first one, but I didn't have the second one. And I had to get the second one in a big hurry because I was like, what? Wait a minute. What? (laughs) I had the exact same experience because you recommended this book for me. And so I bought it. I think it was in 2015. And then I finished it and I immediately went down to my local bookstore and bought the next two because I'm like, this Mm. is, I need to know immediately what is happening. Which is the same experience I had with Twilight when I finished the first Twilight book. And I'm like, I must go get the others. Twas a simpler time. Love Twilight. We've already talked about Gryffindor as Hufflepuff, Slytherins, and now Twilight. So we've ticked our boxes. 
We just have to make a case for a hot evil guy or the boy next door with the bread, and then we've done, we've ticked well, all the boxes. arguably I've already defended Adam's choice to not save someone, so is that not, like, hot evil guy territory? Well, he's not evil, though. He's just really, really conflicted. Still not wrong, though. <laughs> he's like a child to me. I feel very weird about it. Like, they, like I just, because I'm older than them. Like, I am older. I'm 20 years older than all of the characters in this book. So I'm looking at this from the perspective of a parent of, like, a kid who will soon be a teenager going, I really want them to tell me if they're going to go to a magical forest, right? Like, this is what I would want to know. Be safe. Take your amulet. I don't know. I want Blue tells Mora. Like, Mora knows where she is. That's good. Yeah, they're finally talking. I'm here for that. I love that. I want to talk about Adam and his trauma response, which is to just go deep. Because mm. this is something that Gansey really doesn't understand. Gansey thinks it's a reaction to him, but it's actually just a reaction to trauma. Like, he just goes really deep in himself. And there, it's on page 401, that chilling remoteness was in his voice, the sound that meant the boy Gansey knew was pressed somewhere far down inside him. That is not Adam not being present. That's Adam, like, fighting to survive he's in that real ptsd dig down and mentalize yeah, yeah hunker hunker down and ride it out basically um so slightly tangential but i just wanted to talk about that that we get a lot of adam's trauma and it always goes internal and very deep something to look mm. out for in the next book i think too yeah he retreats into himself because that's just what he's always had to do to survive right like he can't verbalize he can't act out he can't show emotion he can't show any weakness like that would have been detrimental to his survival and his, his environment mm. Mm. I um I had something on Adam and Ronan watch despite the whole caves water connection. There's also a bit mm. on page four oh four where it says Adam, with probably help from Ronan, moved from Monmouth Manufacturing to a room belonging to St Agnes Church, a subtle distance that affected both boys in different ways. And I thought that was so interesting that it was like affected both boys in different ways. Is it Adam and Ronan or Or Adam and Gansey? Mm. I wonder. That's very ambiguous, isn't it? As a writer, I would probably have meant one thing and been like, this is obviously perfectly clear and not worried about anybody <laughs> interpreting it. But as a reader, I'm like, but who? Well, I'm going to read it as if we take this as a sacred text with sacred meaning, then I'm going to read it as Adam and Ronan. Because as we know, we find out later that Ronan kind of supplements Adam's rent at St. Agnes and he like supports Adam in all these ways that Adam doesn't know. Yeah. And it must have been quite hard for him having Adam in Monmouth as well, and that kind of distance and the tension in the building and stuff like that. Yeah. How do you tell your crush who you don't think is into you that you're into them? And now he's living in your house. Yeah. No thanks. That's like, uh, well, I guess I, t I technically do live with my crush, but I also married him, so it's fine. And then I think for Adam, you know, moving out of Monmouth is such a big thing. And that kind of like separation from the other boys and like how he integrates himself but doesn't integrate himself and being so acutely aware of his place and not belonging anywhere that's his. Like, I just think there's a lot going on there. Adam, just calm down. Your friends love you. It's okay. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Welk, mm. who does not understand people at all, because he says to Adam on page 398, what would you know what to do with power? He snapped at Adam. What a waste. Like, mate, you you just underestimate Adam so badly. You don't see him mm -hmm. for who he is at all, because frankly, he's probably the one with the most logical, rational ability to use power compared to any of the others. Yeah. And the thing is, Adam's not going to use it just for his own gain. Like you said, he's not doing this for himself. It's like... We're getting to that point 
my daughter and I are reading um, Philosopher's Stone. Are we getting to the point where, you know, Harry's going to have to get the stone somehow to keep it from Quirrell? And he can only get it if he looks in the mirror and he doesn't want it for himself. Like, that's Adam. Mm. He doesn't want Caveswater for himself. He knows it needs to be woken. He can tell it's going to be woken. He has to be the one to do it because nobody else really can. He's taking on this burden. And it is a burden. And he's sacrificing something that's really important to him just to prevent someone horrible from doing it. Because it needs Mm. to be done. Yeah. Welk has no concept of that kind of sacrifice. And... Also, what would he do for the ley line? It's interesting that you bring up Philosopher's Stone because I went to see that on my birthday, the 20th anniversary screening of that. And I was mm. just, for the for some reason, this is the first time that I really thought about it, that Harry straight up murders Quirrell. Like, he kills this man. <laughs> he is 11 years old. It's not that different from what Adam does. Yeah, but he's just trying to save himself. Dumbledore's not guilting him the way the Gans is guilting Adam. He's not like, <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have killed that man. No one ever mentions it again, but he has straight up murdered someone. <laughs> That's it always devolves into discussions about <laughs> Harry Potter. Um, did you have anything else? Oh, I think that was it. Like, it's such a short section. Short but powerful. I think the only other thing I would add is that I love that Blue looks at Gansey and she's like, I'm not going to be the one to kill him. Bless. She's so determined not to hurt her friends, and I love that. She's got a good heart. Sometimes it's enough, but mostly it's not. Um, do you have an in-depth marginalia? I do have an in-depth marginalia. It is awesome. page 398. And it's just like a piece of dialogue. So why, Gansey asked Adam, was I so awful? Adam said, it was never about you. So the context is they're in Cape's border. Adam has just sacrificed himself to the ley line after mm. Welk shot at him. Like Welk just shot at him. So this mm. is after this line of dialogue happens where Gansey is all like, why have you done this thing? I think it relates to the theme of friendship because it's that moment where your friend does something that hurts you and you don't really get it. You don't really understand why they've done this thing. And it's also yeah. connection because it's the continuation of the this fraying of the bonds between Adam and Gansey. Like, they love each other so much, but they just continually keep hurting each other. Yeah. So that's all happening. It's reminded me of the whole idea that when someone says something about you or judges you, it isn't really about you. It's about them. There's something about you that just doesn't vibe with someone. And that doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong with you or that you have to change or do anything about yourself to be different. It just means that there's something about that person that doesn't gel with you, right? Um, I have never been particularly shy about not liking people because... You know, frankly, it's most people. But occasionally I have been called out for it and I've never really understood why. I don't understand why people think we should all be friends. We just can't all like each other and I think that's fine. But that doesn't mean... Like, it doesn't mean anything about you. It means something about me. So in this particular moment when Adam says, it was never about you, I really believe him. Gansey motivates him in a lot of ways and Gansey reminds Adam of things he doesn't have. But that is something within Adam. It's about Mm. him. It's not about Gansey. And I hate when people try to make things like this about them. And for some reason, it just reminded me of X-Men First Class, which is a film I really loved. Um, And it's when Mystique chooses to go with Magneto and leave Charles behind, right? So the two of them are basically siblings. And it's such a big betrayal for Charles. But it's not about him. It's about Mystique and how she feels about her place in the world. And it's something he just can't really understand because... They experience the world too differently. They don't have the same point of view in the same way that Adam and Gansey don't have the same point of view of the world. I think going forward, I feel like 
what this makes me want to do is just be more open about this stuff. I don't know if you can really just go through life saying it's not you, it's me. But I don't want to hurt people. I don't want people to feel bad about themselves because mm. it's not them, it's me. Like, I don't take it personally when people don't like me or don't invite me to things or whatever. Like, I am very much team we can't all be friends. And that's totally cool with me. I just wish other people could be more like that instead of somehow making the fact that they feel excluded my problem. I don't know how to fix that. I guess I just want to be more aware of it so I can better orientate myself in that narrative because the main thing is I don't want to hurt people or make them feel bad about themselves. So I just need yeah. to be more careful about how I do that. So yeah, it's a tough one. That's lovely. <laughs> it's a tough needle to thread, right? Because you have to respect your own boundaries, but at the same time not hurt other people. And sometimes that can be really tough. Mm, yeah. There are definitely people that I am polite to that I kind of wish I could be like, just buzz off. Yeah, what can you do? I'm terminally polite. It's a problem. Yeah, it's something I'm really like living right now and it just it makes me feel terrible but I don't know how to navigate this space and I'm just doing my best. I don't want to be a horrible person. I'm just trying. That's okay. We can't like everybody. We can't vibe with everybody. And you kind of have to protect your own energy, which sounds mean, but also life's very short. You can't pour from an empty vessel. You've got to keep yourself filled up however that looks. And if it means not hanging out with people who are, I don't know, big battery sucks, don't hang out with the big battery vampires. That's fine. And they're not for you. And that's fine. That's right. Did you have an in-depth margin, Mary? Mine is on page 404. And I think it actually dovetails really nicely. Uh, and slowly their lives found equilibrium, though it didn't seem they'd ever return to normal. The ley line was awake. Noah was all but gone. Magic was real and Glendower was real and something was starting. Mm. So this is toward the end of the book where they're really starting to adjust to their new circumstances. Adam has moved out of Monmouth into the church. They're getting all their stuff back. Gansey's quit rowing. You know, it's it's just a lot of stuff happening at one time. Mm. And I think the way it relates to the theme is that the gangs, they have to connect who they were with who they are becoming. And they're also still looking to connect with each other. And I think life is one long string of events that we just have to fold into each new set of events, right? Like nothing mm. is actually ever going to be normal again. And like part of the reason this stuck out to me was because we're in the second year of a pandemic. And yeah. I have heard a lot of people saying, oh, when things get back to normal, I've even said it and mm -hmm. thought it but the truth is there's never going to be a before the pandemic again in my mm -hmm. lifetime everything will always be after so everything we do is always going to be because of the experiences we've had like this is just how our life is and there's a little bit of like coming to terms with that that I would like more people to do just because I've spent a lot of time trying to come to terms with that Mm. masks and hand washing are just a big part of our life now in a way that they weren't before and like I haven't shaken someone's hand a new person I've met in two years like, I just haven't mm. it's wild to think that because I used to like hug all of my friends and give them a kiss on the cheek when I saw them and now it's like I'll hug them maybe if we're both double vaccinated and it's been a long time but it's just not mm. normal anymore so I think going forward I mean it's it's really obvious to me that there is no such thing as normal the human condition is one of growth and change and decay being static is impossible. So we have to be okay with finding the equilibrium and mm. not look for things to return to a way they were when we can't really do that. There is no returning. There's only forward. Uh, yeah, it's so interesting to me because, you know, you talk about the before times or going back to when things get normal. But fundamentally, none of us are the same. And we've been so mm -hmm. changed by this collective trauma and this yeah. collective experience. So how can things ever go back to normal when we aren't the same? Like, there is no normal. There's no going back. You yep. can't pick up the threads of an old life to paraphrase Frodo. You're a different yeah, person now. Exactly. 
I think this is where Gansey's really struggling too. Mm. What hurts for me is when Gansey feels in the in the bit where it says Gansey felt lost looming. Like he's aware that everything's going to change, but it's just so mm. hard for him. You're right. It's very powerful to remember that we are creatures of change and life is always changing mm. and you cannot hold on to, you can't be static and life can't be static and you can't expect it from situations or from people. You've got to move. We're always moving. That's right. We will keep going, even if it sucks, because mm. that is what we do. Well, did you have a character you wanted to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight Adam. He's demonstrating two things that I've really had to work hard at myself, which is willingness and flexibility. So in my house, I say a lot, are you being willing or willful? Because it's a really important therapy <laughs> tool I got, which is like, are you willing to do what needs to be done to achieve what needs to be achieved? Or are you being willful about the way that it needs to be done? And that has helped me to stop and examine a lot of my own stubbornness. Like, does it really matter how my partner washes the dishes as long as they get clean. Does it really matter? No, it doesn't. And the other thing we work on a lot is flexibility, like being able to adapt and roll with things and be like, that wasn't what I expected, but that's okay. <laughs> so right. I just wanted to say, I'm seeing this in Adam. He had to be willing to sacrifice his autonomy, which is the most important thing to him. And he had to be flexible about it and he had to do it. And it was just, he also had to deal with the fallout for from his friendship with Gansey, which at this point I think is the most important friendship he has. So it's super mm. hard for me, but I just want to say I see him and I see people out there who are being willing and being flexible. And I, I rate that. Yay. How about you? Do you have a character you'd like to spotlight? I do. And I'm glad you spotlight Adam because I kind of wanted to spotlight him as well. But my instinct was actually to spotlight Gansey because I think he just feels so betrayed by his friends. Like we saw this a couple of sections ago where he just like didn't think that Ronan or Adam appreciated him. And again, he's dealing with this massive fallout from this betrayal that he feels from Adam. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because he keeps showing up for them. Like it time does. after time again, he just shows up for his friends. And I honestly don't know if I could. Like if I was hurt that badly by someone, I don't know if I had it within myself because I am so easily hurt. And I think that's just aspirational from Gansey. And I love that. It's really beautiful of him to keep showing up for his friends. Yeah, it really is. It's a great character. He's amazing. Thanks for spotlighting Gansey. I do love him an awful lot. He's great. Um, Should we wrap up the book now? I guess we have to, because this is the end. Um, shall we talk about themes first? Definitely. Now, the good thing is we our overarching theme was obviously connection, and we have decided to carry that through through the entire series, which I think is going to be so interesting, because we'll get to follow how things come together and how these storylines play out. And I'm very excited yeah. by that. I'm particularly just excited to seeing how the groundwork laid in this novel gets pulled together, like seeing all the, the strings pulled together, both in terms of the plot, but also the character development. Because reading this, you know, I've seen a lot of things that I've picked up in reading the Dreamer trilogy, which is the series after this one. And I just love that that's already in place. And like so many things just make sense where you go, yes, you see this play out later. And I just, I love that. I love that attention to detail. It's so good. It's really great. And I, I, I do want to touch on this a little bit, um, that I know that we specifically talked about this book in terms of connection. And we only decided mm. just a couple weeks ago, I think, that we were going to carry the theme through. Yeah. But I also am really glad we're going to because reading this book, rereading this book with the entire series in mind, it's really helped me to appreciate what a great writer Steve Otter is. Mm. I've seen so many things that I can call back from the other books later that are already embedded in this. Like the planning and the plotting is so fantastic. 
it's very ambitious. Like, it's a really ambitious story. And I love how much the detail really rewards you. Like, you get all of these wonderful things that you can then find later and they connect. And it's so good. And I just mm. think she really can tell a story so well. It just, it absolutely boggles the mind. And I just wanted to point out that I really love the fact that we are going to get to dive into this whole series eventually, bit by bit, and like unpick mm. all of these connections. Yeah, and I love that we're going to take our time with it as well because you get to really marinate in that stuff and like we're not going to just yeah. blitz through and do them all back to back because, yeah, you know, I think having time to breathe is important, so. Oh, yeah. That's not to say I'm not going to mainline them all this weekend, but, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. What I've also really appreciated through this read is just seeing how connection plays out across friendship and how it can mean different things to different people. And like even people who love and care about each other very much, which they all do, connection looks different for everyone and is interpreted mm. and misinterpreted in various ways. Like, mm -hmm. which just highlights to me how important it is to communicate because you cannot expect people to mind read your thoughts and intentions regardless of how connected you are. You know, it's always important to just say, hey, this, yeah. is, this is where I'm at. Like, I can't just expect you to know. Yeah, that's a big one. Like, I really wish these people would talk to each other some more. They have like a really good metaphor friendship where they're always thinking about their friendship but they're not actually doing all of the things for the friendship that they should be doing mm. these are 17 year olds right they really can't do this so within the context of the story it's accurate I'm waiting for the moment when they go to the hearing and Gansey turns up and Adam just accepts his love as what it is you know mm. that's one of my favorite moments in the whole series it's just the shining moment of Adam finally realizing that Gansey's right it's not about pity it's just about showing up for the people you care about and that looks different yeah based on what you can offer. Absolutely. Ronan shows up for Adam in a way that Gansey couldn't. Gansey shows up for Ronan in a way that Adam can't. Like, they all interconnect and they all depend on each other. And mm. we get the foundations of that in this story, which is so important and so good. Yeah. And I love Blue so much. And I just want to say I love how sensible she is. And I love that she doesn't want to hurt Gansey. And that's the first thing that she thinks about when she looks at him. Mm. Um, I would also like to say that I would love to read a whole entire series about the women of 300 Fox Way. I want to know more yeah. about their friendships and their connections. And their big old family that they've made for themselves. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you had for um, book wrap up? No, that was kind of it. Um, I do have a favorite marginalia from the whole book. Oh, yes, of course. Yep. So I love this and I keep going back to it. When Gansey was polite, it made him powerful. When Adam was polite, he was giving power away. Mm. And I wanted to talk about this in terms of like how they were raised, because I think that that is important. I think that speaks to their upbringings in a way that is it's good inference. Adam is deferential in his politeness, which is what I mm -hmm. take that to mean. Like he gives power away. He's deferential. He's seeding something. And Gansey's politeness is like weaponized, but unconsciously for his gain. Right. So he's polite because it puts everyone at ease and makes him seem respectable. Mm. Does that track? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. The other thing I'd really noticed, like the thing that really stood out to me was that Gansey probably had really polite parents who were polite to him from birth, right? He had people who said please and thank you and spoke in four syllable words at the dinner table. Like he had this code where he had to be polite and he was like painfully polite. Mm. And that's why he defaults to it because it's the safe option. Whereas I think Adam's parents are much less about like, I guess the social etiquette. And also Adam didn't have that like love and kindness and politeness baked into him the way that Gansey did like Gansey knows he's loved he mm. takes it so for granted because he doesn't have to like his parents love him as he is and they let him go off and do things they're not hovering yeah. but they do love him whereas Adam's mm. parents are oppressive controlling and 
not particularly loving and also very unkind like the way that Adam's dad talks to Adam makes me want to tear his face off yeah so I think that because Adam had to learn it himself it's expensive for him right yeah it is a precious commodity it's not something that he has just an unlimited supply of it takes effort and Gansey there's no effort because he's just always had it he's always had politeness he's always able to have it it's just there to be drawn upon it's just ready to go Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's fair it's a great sentence that did you have a favorite marginalia from the book I do so mine's page 115 and it was he was good at staring there was something about his stare that took something from the other person (laughs) obviously this is about Ronan I obviously just love Ronan a lot I just love his little dysfunctional ways of protecting himself like he has created such a poisonous persona for himself where he just makes everything really difficult for people and it's really just (laughs) protecting the soft underbelly of his heart because he is really soft and we have seen this with the people that he lets in like the way he treats Noah the way he treats Chainsaw he and the way he treats Matthew and like yeah Mm -hmm. he's just actually got a really soft heart and he actually has a really keen sense of justice and keen sense of protecting the the people that he loves turtle yeah and I just really love that the way that he protects himself is by robbing power from others. Like he takes from others to make himself strong. Mm-hmm. And when you get to know Ronan, it's because you've earned it, right? Like it's because people have earned his trust and earned his like respect. Like it's all about respect. Like he can't let people close if he doesn't respect them. And like he doesn't respect Declan. And that is the mm. big problem in their relationship. And yeah, it's not available to everyone. You kind of have to go through some trial to get there, you know, to yeah. get to the end. And it's as subtle as a sledgehammer, but it's effective and I am here for it. And I know it's terrible, but it's sort of aspirational to me. And I just love it. <laughs> I just love that description of him that he takes from others as well. Like he stares that took something from other people. I think that really is Ronan. Like a lot of what he does is about robbing other people and I think that's cool like he challenges the status quo in so many ways like he is so anti-establishment right so the fact that he takes from these traditional power sources I think is cool but it's even more than that because it's it's like he can't get under blue skin he can't nettle blue she won't let him Mm. so he's taking something from people who are shakable if you're unshakable you're fine that's because blue and Ronan are cut from the same cloth like they're Mm -hmm. yeah they do the same thing. They, yeah, they shake people by being unexpected. I went to journalism school and um, it was horrible. I wouldn't recommend it. But uh, <laughs> the one thing I really remembered was that if you are interviewing somebody and you just leave the space, people will fill the space because they don't like that silence. Yeah. And Ronan definitely uses that. That's a good trick of his. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't say anything and people will rush to fill it. Yeah. Sean Kendrick did that too in Scorpio Races. Mm. Can't do it. Too much of a talker. I just love connecting. Just want to talk to everybody. Think they're great. Such a Hufflepuff. <laughs> I know, I know. And also ADHD, right? I can't be mysterious because I literally never stop talking. It's fine. What was I saw something really funny this week that was like, you can still be mysterious even if you overshare because people will be left wondering, why would they say that? <laughs> like, so we'll be taking a little short break over Christmas because it's currently Christmas. Of course, when we publish this, it will no longer be Christmas, but that's fine. But not that anyone needs to worry because no one will notice. That's just how good we are. (laughs) Yeah, we're just super amazing. We've got it all sorted out. But we will be back in the new year with the first book in the Simon Snow trilogy, Carry On. So excited. Very, very excited. It's going to be so good. We're going back to Rainbow. I love reading Rainbow Rowell books. And I haven't read the whole series yet, so I'm like really ready to dive into it and do a pre-read before we start doing our close reading so I can have all the feelings. And of course, I have been dying to talk your ear off about it since (laughs) I read it in like August. I know. I've been very good at not spoiling it for you at all times because everything reminds me of it. 
at all times because I'm obsessed. But it's fine. It's fine. It's Everything's right fine. there. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on I have to get onto <laughs> it tonight, don't I? I just have to. It's my labor of love for you. That'll be my biggest Christmas gift is reading these so we can actually talk about them finally. Oh, that is just true love right there. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much for going through this book with me. I'm so glad that we got the chance to do it. And I love the themes we picked. And I'm so glad that we take the time every week to do it. It's just, it's been the highlight of the past two years. And I'm so, so glad we get to do this. Me too. Like, it's just been such a lovely journey. And to revisit these books that we both love. But also just how much it teaches us. Like, how much we've learned. Like, I can't get over how much I got out of Strange the Dreamer. And what an amazing book that was. And how much I still think about it. And same with this. Like, there's just so much to be learned from these books. And it's just great that we take the time to really unpick that and become better people. I mean, we're already amazing. But, you know, you can always grow. You can always learn. And this is fun. This is just fun. I really like doing this. Me too. (laughs) It's great. (sighs) Well, thank you. And I will, I guess, talk to you soon. See you later. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.